said, we are tackling part three of our series, What on Earth Am I Here For? If you're joining with us for the first time, just to quickly recap a little bit. Uh, the first week, we just took a look at the fact that you actually have been created on purpose. Nothing's accidental. God actually does have a plan for your life. And then purpose one was around love. So loving God and being loved by God. Worship is about, uh, a res it's our response to God's undeserved, unmerited, <laughs> unconditional love towards us. And then Tammy spoke about community last week, how we are actually created. Part of our purpose is to actually live in healthy life-giving relationships with one another. And today, I'm wanting to talk about becoming. Hello? Hello? Is that better? My apologies. You won't believe how much time and effort we put into trying to place this correctly. And then I put a mask on. And then I take a mask off. And then I try and place it correctly. And Apparently I failed, so my apologies. So, so today, we're looking at purpose three, which is to become like Christ. Other terminology would be uh, to grow and mature into who God's made us to be. Or, or theologically speaking, this would be the term discipleship. So, so if the first purpose was worship and the second is fellowship, this is discipleship, but that's very uh, sort of churchy or theological language. Really, all that, all, that, all that discipleship means is to actually become like the person that we are trying to follow. Um, here's the scary part. We're all being discipled. Okay, so, so if we're not becoming like Jesus, trust me, you're becoming like someone. We, we are all becoming. We are all being formed into the image of someone or something or being deformed into the image of someone or something. So, so, so just to be clear, this isn't a case of like, do I want to be discipled? Don't I want to be something? Do I want to become um, <clears throat> anyone? Or no, no, you are. You are becoming, you are being discipled, you are being formed or deformed. The only question is whether or not we're being intentional about actually following the life-giving invitations of God to become like Jesus. And the reason I'm emphasizing the term life-giving is because at first, it can seem like, wait, I have to sacrifice stuff. Like, I have to, you mean I have to say no to stuff? And, and, the, and the options become narrower and narrower? Well, yes. But as we do that, we discover the life that has actually been offered and the life that we are being invited to. Um, think of marriage, for example. It has been argued over and over and over again that the number one key to intimacy is exclusivity. There, there is no way that someone can have the depth of intimacy available in marriage if you are uh, enjoying multiple partners. I mean, you might enjoy certain things, but there's no way that you're gonna have the same level of intimacy. So yes, there is a narrowing and there is a saying no to certain options, but, but, but even though that might at first seem like, you, like you're being robbed or, or stuff's being taken away from you, it's actually leading to life, to meaning, to purpose, to fulfillment. I love this definition by Robert Mulholland about spiritual formation. He says that it is the process, so it is a process, we're all in a process of being formed, or some might argue deformed, in, if it's not into the image of Christ. So being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. So by the way, spiritual formation, so actually becoming like Jesus, it's never an increasingly self-centered journey. The, the, the closer I am moving towards Jesus, the, the more I am following him, the more I will be moved for other people. 
the more I will care about other people, the more, the more that that's going to affect my relationships with others. So it is for the sake of others. In fact, that's going to come into the new name of our church, which we'll be launching later this year. You can just hang on to that and let that tease you a little bit. <laughs> Mulholland goes on to say that the question is not whether to undertake spiritual formation. The question is what kind of spiritual formation are we already engaged in? Everything is spiritual. In the Hebrew language, there was no word for spiritual because everything's spiritual. Relationships, exercise, what you do with your time, definitely what you do with your mind, everything is spiritual. So the question is not whether or not, it's just simply what kind. And so I wanna take a look uh, in a moment at a few different ways that I believe God invites us to grow. But before I do that, one, one last reminder that some of the language that we use around our churches, so we've adopted this language permanently from others that are cleverer than me and that have put this stuff together, and that is simply ordering our lives around three goals, and that is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were me. So to be with Jesus, that, that's worship, that's loving, that is positioning myself to be loved by God and to love him, to actually enjoy a relationship with God. That's what we're invited to. We're actually invited to a relationship where we actually get to enjoy being with Jesus. And by the way, that order matters. Religion is where we start with the doing what Jesus would do. If we can put that back up on the screen, guys. So religion starts with, I better do, I better, I better pretend, I better, I better make sure that I look as though. But but actually, it has to be in response to. So the order really matters. It comes from relationship, being with Jesus. We can't help it. If we, if we spend time with him, we are going to become like him. And if we are becoming like him, man, I'm just telling you, we, we're gonna want to do what he would do if he were me in that situation, in this stage of life, around this group of people. So how do we grow? Just, just, just to make it abundantly clear, this is something that we have to be intentional about. In the New Testament of the Bible, it is referred to at least eight different times that we need to make every effort in our growth toward becoming like Jesus. In other words, we don't just you know, sit out on a deck chair and wait to become like. We also don't just sit in church and hope that through osmosis, I suddenly become like. Jesus, we actually have to be quite intentional. We have to be responsive and we have to take responsibility. Some have argued that the word responsible, you could say is, it is to be able to respond. It's response able. I am actually able to respond to the various challenges and temptations as well as to the various invitations to actually become like Jesus. And again, I can't beat this drum hard enough. It leads to life. Please don't hear what I'm saying. It's like, ugh. <sighs> like more stuff that I have to do. I, I get that that might be the first thought, but actually it's about often, often, it's actually about, it's actually about pruning stuff off that you don't need to do. It's, it's, actually about, it's actually about taking off burdens that you don't need to carry. It's actually about recognizing your limits and knowing, okay, this is my part and I'm gonna be diligent in that, but actually I can, I can go to bed at night, at night, and get up in the morning. Just so you know, not, not like after midday. And anyway, um, like, I can do what, I, what, what is within my capacity, but I can also rest and trust God with the results, with the outcome. Yeah. Worry, stress, unhealthy anxiety is when, is when we 
are absolutely married to the outcome. Like, like, like we feel that, that, that the outcome is 100% ours only as opposed to, no, no, the effort is our responsibility. But the outcome is his. Anyway, eight different times in the New Testament where it encourages us to put in every effort. So there's nothing profound about this. I'm, I'm mostly wanting to remind you today and those of you that are familiar with some of these principles and truths, I want you simply to reflect on each of them. Just five quick principles or practices towards growing and to ask yourself the question of whether or not this is something that you're engaging in or, or to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight for you maybe one area that you need to give just a little bit more attention to and be intentional about. So number one is simply truth. It does take truth to grow. Now, now when I say truth, I don't mean your truth, my truth, or anyone else's truth, I'm just, I just mean like the truth, okay? I, I promise you I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but, but I genuinely, just, just from an intellectual integrity point of view, struggle to understand the statement, you speak your truth. I, I, think, I think I know what people mean. I think that they mean you're allowed to be honest, which is 100% correct. Like be honest about how you feel or what you think. Absolutely. But what I feel and think and what you feel and think isn't necessarily the truth. So, I, I mean, again, without trying to be patronizing, obviously the, the most basic example would be like, I can't say that my truth is that two plus two is five. Yeah. And you say your truth, and you know what's interesting is that, is that actually we trust scientists and we trust you know, people where there is, why is it that we don't believe that the creator of the universe actually has truth? Yeah. And that his truth will set us free. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't have to wrestle over what I feel is my truth. I might feel like my wife doesn't love me. I might feel like she's cheating on me, I'm, which I've never have, just so you know. I, I, I'm using this, no, 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 I actually mean that's just, no, one of, the, one of the great compliments I can say to Sue is that in 22 years of marriage, never, not once, has Sue ever given me a, a natural reason to be insecure or doubt, or doubt her at all, ever. Like, like, that's a big, 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 big deal. But, but let's say, but let's say that, that for whatever reason, because of our personalities and, or just my, which is, by the way, let's be honest, a lot of times it's just our own insecurity. If I start believing the lie, because that's what the enemy does, he tries to just sow seeds of doubt, sow, sow little lies. If I start believing that Sue doesn't love me, I start believing that Sue's cheating on me, I start believing that, that Sue, you know, is, is making a plan to, to, to get rid of me, which would be really, <laughs> really weird. Um, I can't say that's my truth. No, that's my feeling, that's my perception. Anyway, so, so truth really matters. And guys, the truth is that truth is only found in the inspired, protected, Holy Spirit, you know, led truth of God, which is recorded in His Word, the Bible. And obviously it does involve correct interpretation, because yes, lots of people have used the Bible to lie and to cause damage and to feed racism and sexism and all kinds of prejudices. So no, no, it obviously involves correct interpretation. But even when it comes to correct interpretation, there is a science. It's called hermeneutics. There is actually a way to, with integrity, interpret the Bible correctly. But guys, we have to be exposing ourselves to truth. You can do all the other right, you can, you can do everything else I'm, I'm gonna tell you to do. If we're not exposing ourselves to truth, man, it's all, it's all just so, uh, uncertain and, and unstable and, and, we're, and we're on the wrong, I don't know about you, but on the wrong day, my feelings can influence me massively or, 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 or other people can influence me 
unhealthily, if I'm, if I'm not grounded and anchored in truth, reading scripture, reflecting on scripture, which is different, memorizing scripture, declaring scripture. Guys, I, I, I would imagine, I haven't done a survey of pastors around the world, but I would imagine that if I was able to, that probably the vast majority would just say, if we could just help our people get into the daily habit of reflecting on scripture, meditating on scripture, and actually believing what it says and declaring it and standing on it, for the most part, 90% of lives would be different. But, but yet our human nature keeps looking, for, okay, okay, that's great, Jason, but what else? I just wanna be clear, anything else is extra. I don't mean like extra. I mean it's extra, okay? I mean like it's like 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 it's it's extra. Just just two very simple examples. One is Uversion, which is a Bible app. If you if you go onto your if you have a smartphone, you don't do it now. God's watching. But you go onto you go on to, and so am I, by the way. Um, it's a great free app. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing there are hundreds of thousands of different devotional plans on it right now. So, so if you wanted to do a short devotional plan on hope, you just literally in the search bar, hope, and it can take you to various options where you can just, anyway. The point is, it is, guys, it's, ne it's never been more accessible and more helpful ever, ever in the history of mankind to be able to just read the Bible. You don't actually have to go and spend hundreds or thousands of rands. You can, if, I'm, obviously this is assuming that you have a kind of phone or device that you can download that on. For those of you that have maybe been on the road a lot longer, I, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend this to brand new believers, but, but there's another app called Lectio 365, which, which shifts gears from, from reading a lot to, to reflecting more intentionally. Anyway, those are just two, two very quick examples. Before I move on, if I can just quickly remind you that the enemy's strategy is almost always I would argue that 90 plus, 90 plus percent of the time, it is, it is to try and combat truth. It is to make our feelings speak a lot louder than the truth of scripture. It is to just place little seeds of doubt. It's to just make us wonder, doubt, um, you know, feed that little bit of insecurity, feed that little bit of greed, feed, feed that little bit of, you know what, I'll, I'll only really be satisfied if I, you know, fill in the blank. It's, it's deception. I really do appreciate it. I don't like it, but I appreciate how John Markoma defines the enemy strategy as deceptive ideas, that's from the devil, that play to our disordered desires. We all have them, okay? We all have, listen, for the most part, I, I imagine that there are some exceptions, but for the most part, many of us, most of us, by far, would, would have a disordered sexual desire, okay? I know, I know it's, it's gonna get quiet. No one's looking at anyone else. Okay, okay. I'm just telling you that for the most part, most of us are gonna have disordered sexual desires where you will notice someone or find someone attractive and, and maybe have to, to control what you do with that. And again, just because you have the desire doesn't make it right. But you have an enemy who's going to play to a disordered desire. You guys, we live in a world where obvious, I mean, people are paid and spend billions and billions and billions of rands, which is not very much, but dollars, on, on trying to make us want things we don't need. So, so we all have these disordered desires, but, but a place to a lie of you will be happier if, you'll be more content if, you'll be more, con you'll be more secure if, you'll, you'll feel better about yourself if. 
So, deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that, by the way, are normalized in a sinful society. That's not trying to diss the world. No, we, we, live in, we are part of a sinful society where, where it is normal to be materialistic. It is normal to be greedy. It is normal to abuse power. It is normal to neglect the environment. It is, anyway, okay, all right, let me move on. So God's word, just so you know, it encourages, comforts, teaches, directs, exposes our motives, points out our faults, rebukes our sins, and, by the way, expects us to change. Applying God's word is hard work. Just so you know. Again, I wanna tell you the truth so that you're not shocked by it. Like, it takes effort. I really wish it didn't. I wish it was easy. I wish I could just know it and then boom, like it just happens. But my family will tell you that apparently it doesn't work like that with me. Like I've got to actually put effort in to applying that stuff, which is also why, by the way, it's so helpful to discuss it with other people. Going back to last week's purpose about we need relationships. The more we are around other people discussing. So that's, so that's why life group is really helpful. Or if you're intentional about, about relationships, intentional, where you are discussing stuff that you are reading or, or where you're giving others the opportunity to share their observations, which are often going to be something that you haven't thought of, but it can actually speak to you and, and minister to you. Okay, don't worry, that was the longest point because it's really important. In case anyone's panicking, everything else is a lot quicker. Okay, number two. So first is truth, number two is trouble. It's great news on a Sunday morning this mid-May. God uses trouble. Or some, some translations of the English Bible use the word trials or testing. God uses trouble. None of us like trouble. None of us want trouble. Some of you are good at causing trouble. Some of you are sitting next to your trouble right now. Don't look at them. But trouble is how we grow. It has the potential to teach us. It has the potential to mature us. It has the potential to make us whole. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, by the way, I mean, I wouldn't like to be the half-brother of Jesus, says, it's recorded in his epistle in the New Testament, James 1, verse 2 to 4, where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, if you're a thinking, honest person, you might be thinking, James, like, are you a sucker? Like, are you a massacre? What do you mean, like, it's joyful? Because it is like being accepted into a world-class university where, by the way, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna stretch you. It's gonna require huge amounts of discipline and sacrifice and focus. But if you're, if you're trying to prepare for your future and your career and you, and you need a formal education and you get accepted into, into one of the world's best universities, there is, there is a joy. We have the creator of the universe that is trying to school us. He's trying to educate us. He's trying to form us. He goes on verse three, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. And by the way, just so you know, James was living in an era of persecution, martyrdom. Tr tradition actually holds that James was eventually beheaded. Like, like he's, not, he's not writing this from his ivory tower. He's writing this from real life. Some of you would have heard the, 
the, the explanation of a goldsmith or a silversmith who would, who would have to um, turn the heat up tremendously in, in order to, to melt the metal so that the impurities in that gold or in that silver would actually come to the surface and then, and then would actually have to scrape it off and then would heat it up again allowing all the, so it's like this stuff has to boil and bubble and the impurities have to come back to the surface and has to be scraped off. That goldsmith or silversmith kept doing that until he could see his reflection in the metal. That is the picture of what the father is trying to do through troubles. The heat gets turned up and he's saying, I'm not trying to be cruel, I'm actually trying to be kind, I'm trying to help you see attitudes, motives, um, things that you place your trust in that's not good and, and where you can actually have your, your, your trust deepened to where you are genuinely relaxed in me. So guys, let's not, let's not reject God's school. Instead of asking why me, maybe ask what now? Not, not in a cocky way, like what now? I mean like, okay, Father, what, what are you trying to teach me now? Is there something that you're trying to bring out of this circumstance, out of this situation. Let's, let's avoid running from the very school of character that God is actually trying to use to grow us. And that school is generally relationships, it's dynamics at work or school, stuff going on in your community. It could be that really, really, really frustrating neighbor that you want to poison but shouldn't. Like, maybe, I mean, I don't relate to that, I'm just saying. <clears throat> that, you know, there are times where, where, where that heat is being turned up. Let's not run from it. Let's learn from it what we need to. Okay, number three is temptation. So truth, trouble, temptation. Just so you know, temptation is different to trouble. So trouble is, is, is stuff that, that it could be from God, actually, which might mess with some of our minds, especially if we think God, God's just this Father Christmas, warm and fluffy, as opposed to a Father who wants to grow us and develop us. But temptation, just so you know, is never from God. Never from God. It is different. But it is a fight. It, is, it comes from our, our own imperfect human nature that we are trying to, to work through. And again, it's those disordered desires that we all have. Disordered desires that, that make us want to be accepted through means that maybe is more than, than what God is needing us to, to be, you know, to find that security and identity in. It could be that those disordered desires where we, where, where we think if I can, again, it's not conscious, just, just subconsciously, if I can just fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. It's, it's these natural disordered desires. James goes on in verse 12 to say, God blesses those who patiently endure testing. So that's like troubles and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. And then this is an important verse. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. But just so you know, temptation is not sin. Like it's really important that you know that. So having that desire is not sin. Probably the most dramatic example of this, I guess, would be, um, and I've had people sit across the table from me saying, saying that, they are, that they're having to fight and a disordered desire sexually for underage children. Now, now, now I, I'm using that deliberately as, as an example that I know would be a trigger for, for most of us, and rightly so. But, but how, how amazing and vulnerable and humble that a person would say, I don't know where this, and, and in most cases, I imagine they've been victims of abuse, etc. Now, Now, sure, it'd be quick and easy to just want to write that person off. 
But, but how, how significant that a person would say, I, I don't want this desire. This is a disordered desire. And again, this might mess with your theology, but having that desire isn't sinful. What, what we all do with our desires, that's what either makes it sin or, or not. And I've got to tell you, I take my head, probably the people that I respect the most and have the most compassion for are people that, that have to fight a permanent disordered desire. It goes on. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. So, so this is how it develops. It gives birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And, and the greatest picture of that, I think, is, is simply a fish and a lure. So you've got this fish who has this, this you know, some evil meaning, you know, fisherman that, that's, that's found a, a lure that looks nicer than any other fish. Like it, like it looks too good to be true because it is too good to be true. Okay, so, so this thing is like, ooh, yeah, fishy, 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 fishy. It looks so attractive. It looks so nice and, and bright and sharp and, and sparkly, but it's got a hook behind it. That is what temptation is. If we give in to temptation, it drags us away eventually over time, and it kills us. But here's what's interesting. We actually do have a choice. And again, the more that we bathe ourselves in truth, the more we're able to recognize, also because it's relational, right? We have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit's in us, and, and you might just have that little sense of, Jason, that's too good to be true. That, that, that thing that's like trying to get your attention, it's too good to be true because, it looks too good to be true because it is too good to be true, and it, and it overpromises and underdelivers. right? That's, that's what sin is. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. Again, some of you know this statement that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Always. Always. But we have a choice. Practically, I mean, this is a whole message on its own, but practically, I want to just encourage you to recognize what you need to resist. So for some of us at certain places, at certain, at certain times of day or certain times of the week, it's, it's, you, might, you might find that if you're traveling, there's certain triggers, there are certain times where you are more vulnerable. There might be certain people that you just know when I hang out with those people, it's like, oh, I mean, I wanna be nice and I wanna be, and I wanna be able to influence them, but the reality is they influence me. Let's recognize and resist those triggers. And when that happens, when, as, as we become forearmed, change the channel in your mind. Don't just say, I'm not gonna think about what they're talking about. I'm not gonna think about what they're talking about. I'm not gonna think. What are you doing? You're thinking about what they're talking about. Or I'm not gonna think about that girl. I'm not gonna th- well, you're thinking about the girl. Or I'm not gonna think about, you know, that, that if I could just cut that corner and get that extra money, I could you know, fill in the blank. And no, no, change the channel. Like literally in some cases, run. Like run with your mind and run physically if you have to confess, not just failure, but temptation. Like have someone that you trust that you can be safe with and just, 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 keep, just keep being honest, living in the light. Hold yourself accountable. Like if you're, if you're traveling, you might need to have friends that are just, if, if, if you know that you're vulnerable when you're traveling towards excessive drinking or gambling or, or sexual temptation or whatever the case, or overspending, have friends that you can, that you're asking in advance to just, pray for you to have your back. And by the way, one of the prayers that I think we should pray almost every day is, Lord, lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil. That's in the Lord's prayer. And, and by the way, it says us and ours. So I pray for my friends and myself. Lord, lead us and our families. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us 
from evil. Here's the really good news. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, the second half says, and God is faithful, I love this, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Jason, he is definitely allowed it to be more than I can stand. Whoever you are, no, he hasn't. Just because I give into it and I, and, and I keep going down that road that, he's, that he prompted me against, I didn't mean that facetious, I'm just saying, I, there's so many times where I feel like God, if I look back, warned me ages ago, but I ignored those first prompts, those first you know, little inv- like, like, like warning bells. Guys, if we're in a relationship with God, please pay attention to, to that little <coughs> of the Holy Spirit. And when you are tempted, yes, man, what a, what a great promise. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. He will show you a way out. There will be an invitation. Number four is training. Which, which I'm not gonna unpack because I feel like we spend a lot of time on that as, as a church. We, we keep coming back to practices that position us to be formed by Jesus. It's our habits. It's making church a priority. It's life groups a priority. It's spending time in God's word every day, however long or short it is, but, but we're consistent in it. It's, it's confession. It's a rule of life. Training, training is how we grow. We don't only have to grow through pain and suffering and risk. Like we can also grow because we're deliberately ordering our lives through practices, places, people. We're deliberately ordering our lives to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he would do. And lastly is just time. Oh, I can't encourage you enough. It's time. We can get so discouraged, so worn out, so weathered by, by just having to persevere and endure. Can I just encourage you that you're in good company? I mean, you just read the Bible and it's like, wow, people had to persevere for long. Speak to other Christians that, are, that have been on the road for a long time and, and, tr- and, and they haven't given up, like they're trying to grow. They'll tell you, man, it just, it takes time. Now, now in closing, I want, I want to unpack two types of time. The one is short time and the other one is long time. The short time is, is quick obedience. Don't, so, so you need time to go long when you're having to obey and persevere and trust and have faith, but don't allow time to go long when you're having to obey. When you have a prompting from God or you read something in Scripture that you know, you know, I mean, like almost like immediately the Holy Spirit says to you, hey, Jason, that's you. You need to make a change. Don't wait. Like that's not when you should persevere. That's when you should just be quick obedience. Where our attitude is, yes, Lord, Yes, Lord, what's the question? Or what's the instruction? Sincerely, I think that even baptism is a really good example of this. Where we don't wait until we have a whole bunch figured out because then you're dead. Like, like, it's not a sign of maturity. You don't wait until you have all the answers or you figured everything out. But, you, but you, it, is, it is a response when you have made a conscious decision to commit your life to Jesus, to commit your life to following Him. Everything about it is symbolic, representative. As, as, as a person goes down under the water, fully submerged, it is, it is symbolic, the Bible says, of our old, like dead spiritual man being buried and our new spiritual man or woman, man, I mean that generically, coming back to life, coming, coming to life, coming alive. Now, it doesn't make you alive, but it, but, it, but it reflects and represents what has happened. And it gives you a day to look back to. It gives you... It, it, 
There's something about having to do that publicly that makes you very conscious about it. It's kind of like getting married, where it's not just by the side, like, yeah, yeah, I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. Yeah, love you. No, no. If you if you're gonna have a if you're gonna create you know uh, organize a wedding in front of all your friends and family, it may not be a quick decision, but it is a clear decision. You've thought about this. So there's something about having to do it so tangibly, consciously, and publicly that it's like it just I think there's just something about it that just helps it to sink in. I'm grateful that soon I can look back to a day where where we had a wedding. Now, if I'm very honest with you, and this might not go down well with some people, I really wasn't phased about the wedding. Like I wasn't like, whoa, can't, I can't wait for the wedding. I was like, I can't wait for the marriage. So 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 the wedding wasn't like the wedding wasn't the big deal for me. Although it was a big deal, but but I'm so grateful that I can, man, we have a day that we celebrate and remember. So for example, I'm just saying that that's an example. Baptism. God, yes, I have said, I have accepted your forgiveness. And yes, I have chosen to follow you. In my, in my understanding of the Bible, it is reflected over and over and over again. Believe and be baptized. Go public. It's a public declaration of a private decision. So I'm just saying, if you're here today and you are in a relationship with God, I'm inviting you to say yes. Let it be a quick obedience. But the long obedience. I love how Eugene Peterson, he's actually, literally the one title of his book was a long obedience in the same direction. Ooh, that is the Christian life, just so you know. It is a long, so, so, that, so that's why we don't keep getting baptized every week, even though many of us wish we could. I was like, no, no, I think my old man came back to life. Baptize me again, please. Or your, or your family's like, it definitely came back to life. Hold him down longer, okay? By the way, that's what communion is for. Communion is an ongoing, lifelong, symbolic reminder that, no, no, the price was paid. Your sin has been forgiven. I am invited to follow him afresh. But it is a long obedience in the same flipping direction. That's how we grow. We don't grow through quick gimmicks, through shortcuts. We grow as we persevere with a long obedience. I love, last quote, how Robin Mulholland says, we become like Christ gradually. Not instantly. It is a gradual, gradual process. I wanna encourage you to, to relax. Not relax in a lazy way, relax in a, in a trusting way. That God really does know what He's doing. You keep getting back up, you keep trying. We're gonna close a little bit differently today. And we're gonna sing a song that I want you to pay attention to the first two lines. So, so the whole song is about creating new wine. Forget about the imagery, but, but there is significance. In the Bible, Jesus made reference to, 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 the, to the symbols involved. The first two lines are in the crushing and in the pressing. I'm embarrassed to say that I've, I've never noticed, first of all, those two different lines, and I've never known that, there's, that they're two different stages as you're trying to create olive oil, you're trying to make wine or, or, or grape juice, whatever, there's a crushing and there's a pressing. Crushing is when, is when, is when like, like even like when people you know, stand, I don't know if they still do this sometimes, but, but in the old days, you know, they would like stand on the grapes to, to crush it and to squeeze all the juice out, etc. cetera. But, but the juice is mixed with the seeds, the, 
the little stems and, and the pulp, etc. But then it's a whole nother process when the pressing comes and it's like, I mean, I mean they, they used to roll, roll a hard stone, like, like really, I guess like a juicer nowadays, where you just squeeze the stuff out. Maybe you're tempted to give up during the crushing because it's uncomfortable, it's painful. Stuff's coming out everywhere and it's like leaking out and I don't like what I'm seeing. And God's saying, hang in there, there's still some pressing. And if you want new wine, as it were, if you're wanting, listen, guys, Jesus, in the garden of Gethsemane, it was, Gethsemane is, is olives and crushing. He was literally in the olive grove. It's, I mean, how significant the, the, the symbolism of Jesus in his most painful moment. And by the way, he was tempted to abort. Three times he had to pray, God, if there's another way. But in the crushing, in the pressing, allow God to bring something new out of us. He wants to grow us. It is a price worth paying. It is a vision worth fighting for. Come on, stand with me. And by the way, by the way, go ahead. You can stand. Don't want to mess you around. You can stand. Father, my prayers that you'd help us to recognize your hand where you're trying to bring something good out of us, where you're trying to invite us into healthier relationships, into letting go of past hurts and, and hang-ups and, and habits that have, that have been destructive. God, where you're inviting us towards taking life-giving steps that, that will actually lead to life, help us to see your hand and help us to trust your heart and help us to say yes. Yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Yes, Lord, thank you for forgiving my sins. I can't add anything to it. I can't, I can't grovel. I can't, I can't try and work up a, a more guilty conscience. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful that you've forgiven me, that you've, that you've actually set me free, and that every day your mercy is on you, that you keep removing my sin from me as far as the east is from the west, that you are a good God, that you are a gracious God, that you are a God that is worth trusting. God, help us to trust you. Help us to see your hand. Help us to trust you your heart. Father, if, there's, if there are people that are watching this or, or, or here today that, that are needing to simply say yes to that relationship with Jesus, God, help them to make a clear, concerted, conscious decision to go all in, to surrender, even, even right off the bat, right from the beginning, to say, if you need to crush, if you need to press, if you need to do stuff, man, I've tried it my way. And I really don't think that I've actually got what it takes. I need you. God, help him to say yes and to commit, to go all in and to persevere. And Father, for everyone else that, that is already in that relationship with you, God, help us. Help us not just to sit back. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to allow our disordered desires and the deceptive ideas and, and the normalization of the world around us to, to draw us away from your great plan, your great purpose, your incredible love. Help us to trust you. God, again, I just keep feeling the sense of you invite us to actually be relaxed in you. There's actually a joy to this. There's a peace to this. There's life in this. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you and obey you and to love you back and to constantly see where you are trying to express your love to us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, 